0: Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to episode two of Isildur's Shack. Um, We come to you live from the edge of the Midgewater marshes. And it's rainy here and uh, the knicker beakers are going at it. It's very loud, but um, I think I can hear my co-host Terillion well enough. Terillion?
1: Yep, yep. Is sneaker Beaker actually from the book?
0: I believe so, yeah. Um... Yeah,
1: I, I remember them being enemies in The Lord of the Rings Online, which was a really good game in its time. But she says she chose to focus on Ariadur in the early period, and as, as, as some of you know, uh, I'm a really, really big fan of that whole region of Middle Earth in the Northwest, um, you know, where the Shire is and where Arnor was and where Rivendell is. It's a lot. It's very, very interesting and kind of mysterious despite being the homes of uh, so many of the major characters. But yeah, that's yeah, not well, the topic for today.
0: It's it's a very large and sparsely populated place, isn't it? Uh, it's yeah, kind of, which,
1: which is definitely the kind of place I would like to live in. I mean, I do live in yeah. Canada, but... Uh, I live yeah. in a very densely populated part of Canada. But anyway. Well,
0: I live in the Indo Gangetic Plain, and that's. Yeah. And that's all I'm going to say regarding that place and its population density.
1: You mean you so, live in uh, Harrod?
0: Uh, yes, I live in Far Harad but the stars are strange. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's, you're one of. That's where he, live. Yeah, um, me and here is a black Numenorian. Which, I am, yeah. Which um, we'll probably discuss later. Um,
0: yeah, we need to. Um, we need to discuss that later, and um, I will make sure that my lawyers don't press any defamation charges against um, Perilion for calling me a black Numenorian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. So, yeah. a topic for today is uh, the topic of fading. In middle earth um and its relation to certain um biblical events mm-hmm. and uh the concept of entropy more broadly mm-hmm. so what exactly is fading meme Prior?
0: uh the way i see it it's one of those things that um tolkien described fairly accurately and fairly thoroughly but because it's not um it's not located in a very um, prominent um place in the in the in the um uh, text of the legendarium um it does often tend to get overlooked a little so yeah. um fading um, as described in on fairy stories on this on the semisecond um is the process by which the elves in particular although although i'm fading is a phenomenon that affects basically every single um scented creature and and every single um um king um, of matter um, it's the process whereby um, the soul it consumes the body of um, um, incarnate creatures such as elves. It consumes it in such a way that it makes it in a way completes the um, the function of the physical body so that after the process of fading is completed um uh, the faded elf is no longer able to enact any changes in his surrounding environment does that does that explain it fairly well
1: somewhat but it's also to some extent just it, it, it shouldn't be just understood as a natural process it should also be understood as like a process of general um, decay that for example is accelerated in middle earth as opposed to in valinor where the process is um indefinitely um delayed at least with respect to the um decay of the body although not in the um gradual winding down of power and glory that um elves experience Mm -hmm.
0: so
1: uh those who don't know of course in Arda which is you know Tolkien's created world uh you have Middle Earth and continents of men um and then you have Valinor to the west which is no longer within Arda it's um sort of in its own it's been taken out of the world and brought into its own dimension um so to speak um and that's where uh The Valar live, which are, you know, um, like gods of a lowercase g under Eru who participated in the creation of the world. And many of the elves have lived there um, with them for a very long time. And it's often known as the Undying Lands because those lands are somewhat preserved from the decay and taint that were affected by Melkor Morgoth early Mm -hmm. on in the world. So, otherwise what a...
0: known as lucifer yeah whom, yeah whom christ saw falling
1: i mean the thing about heaven. morgoth is 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 the it, he's obviously satan like you could just say yeah he's satan yeah um, but a major thing about the elves in that part of the a major thing is that elves who live there don't succumb to the same kind of fading whereas elves who live uh who stay in middle earth long enough will eventually see their bodies um, decay and consumed by their souls, and then they'll just become houseless spirits, which um, could sometimes manifest, but not Um, significantly. They'll no longer be incarnate or able to affect the world in the same way that they were. And so that's the ultimate fate of all elves um, in Tolkien's Legendarium. And it's said that, you know, as the world of Arda becomes our world, which Tolkien sort of envisioned... Um, His legendarium is an alternative past for our world. Uh, All remaining elves are basically just bodiless spirits which could sometimes manifest but sometimes not. Hmm.
0: Yeah. So uh, that means that um, the uh, centaur and the fawn that um, Saint Anthony of the Desert um, met as he was traversing the desert was a particularly um corrupted elven spirit that that had been rendered houseless by the long passing of years but i'm just being autistic it could have been anything really but but um but i'm just saying you know if we accept the um history of arda as being connected to our own past then um the continued existence of of houseless um disembodied um elves would account for a lot of the um activity of the um liminal uh beings so yeah so the answer to um jack Vale's passport to magonia would be "Oh, the avari did it the elves did it okay so yeah
1: Yeah, so uh, what he's referring to is, you know, you do have accounts, for example, in various church fathers, like St. Anthony, um, of creatures like fawns and centaurs, and creatures that don't really seem to fit into the category of angel, Mm -hmm. uh, and don't seem to fit into the category of human, and don't seem to fit into the category of demon, uh, and they show up repeatedly, uh, and you have um, a theory that UFOs are actually beings from another dimension, uh, rather not UFOs, but aliens and alien sightings are not actually aliens, but you know, they're demons or beings from another dimension, mm-hmm. uh, which actually fits with the data quite a bit better. And according to one yeah. theory, they would be, you know, liminal beings that don't necessarily fit into the category of demon.
0: Yeah. Or an angel so, or human. Um, the, um, the term that I think it's I think it's either Ananda Kumaraswamy or uh, René Guénon who uses the um expression uh, psychic beings because they because they originate from the from the um uh, realm so they're not demons per se but they they're
1: a bit lower than uh beings that are pure spirits is yeah yeah infra below psychic yeah. of the soul yeah Yeah. You know. Um,
0: I guess the idea behind fading is if I had to define fading, I would um, I would describe it as the gradual uh, loss of both agency and potency over time um, um, carried out by the acting of or or the uh, unfolding of entropy. That basically
1: makes sense. There's a kind of limited capacity for act. Basically, in Middle Earth, in Arda, everything was more magical in the early ages. Um, Things were a lot crazier. Uh, You know, you had mountain ranges being created, you know, on a whim by the Valar and the powers. Uh, You had, you know, elves who were almost like gods. Mm -hmm. in comparison to us today, and to to really to men in the uh, Third Age, even. Mm -hmm. uh, And then by the Third Age. things uh, have really winded down, and you only have little pockets of highly magical activity
0: in places like uh, Lothlorien and Rivendell. And uh, let's not forget file of Galadriel. In the first stage and in the Ears of the Trees, Magical bathwater was everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was yeah.
1: probably magical bathwater everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, so...
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. So in a way,
1: fa- fading is really just a manifestation, um, in particular individuals, of this general trend towards a lessening of magic in the world, which, you know, parallels the fact that um so, according to so the second law of thermodynamics you know entropy and chaos and things like that are all other things being equal will tend to increase over time and yes. the capacity for a, new
0: work in, in in of course in a um, closed thermodynamic system yeah, so yeah 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 that's that's kind of important because 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 that has yeah. a very strong theological component that will be a, a dressing in um, as we as we keep on talking. I think one of the uh, one of the presumptions of, of, of fading is a repudiation. Um, it's a very it's implied. It's implied. It's sub, it's subtextual, but it's implied. It's a repudiation of the um, Faustian spirit. So if you believe in the idea of fading what that implies is that you have is that every incarnate um, sentient creature has a certain fixed quantity of being of being of ontos right that he expends over the course of his life that he um spends in let's say bringing forth children or creating works of art or building things or whatever, so on and so forth and that that one of the ways in which it it manifests is uh, well one of the ways in which it um, naturally manifests is is how long that person lives right yes. If you go back and read how um, Bilbo felt about about um, carrying carrying the ring, um, you will see that Bilbo talks about feeling stretched out now, like a pat of butter being scraped over too much bread. Now, but that means, in essence, his, his being was designed originally by God, because God is the one being who who is the ground of being, and He gives everyone existence right so god designed bilbo and and hobbits in general to live around uh like what like 85 90 years no the
1: average the average hobbit lives a hundred years
0: okay so um so so because it was more than that what was happening to bilbo was um he was he was stretched out essentially over a longer span of time than had originally been ordained for him
1: his allotted his allotted being was being stretched out rather than yeah. increased by uh, yeah. uh, possession of the ring
0: yeah um the same the same keeps the same happen to the um ring rates funnily enough because men have a smaller amount of being to to begin with um being forced to live for five thousand six thousand years under the dominion of sauron who basically st- stopped you from dying from 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 um, from being done with your um story in this particular um well done with your story upon this stage of arda that was what um the uh nine rings did now men were made mortal but they but the but the nine rings prevented using a combination of very evil um esoteric necromancy it delayed it forestalled death but by preventing death it could not grant more life so what little life there was got stretched out over the normal Numenorian lifespan of, of 210, 220, or 30. Yes. Got stretched out to beyond 5,000 years. Now, once that happens, of course, you lose your shape, right? Okay. Because your,
1: bo- your body basically completely disappears and yeah. you're just a houseless spirit. Although, yeah. Um, yeah, so one one aspect of this um, notion of a, a certain limited amount of being that you see, for example, in the Silmarillion is that Feanor, who, of course, was the greatest of all the elves, mm. when he created the Silmarils, a certain amount of his being entered into creating it, a certain amount of his energy or life force or whatever entered into creating it such that... He didn't really know how he created them and could never make them again. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so they preserved the light of the two trees in them. And when the two trees of Valinor were destroyed by Morgoth, uh, Yavanna, the the Vala who had created the two trees, uh, herself was not able to recreate the two trees because even she, a Valar, a Vala, uh could not um reproduce them because they were sort of her magnum opus a certain amount of her being went into it to the point where it's just not something that could ever be repeated and in um tolkien's work notes on motives in the silmarillion which is in volume 11 of the history of middle earth Morgoth's ring uh,
0: that's uh, volume 10 that's not the same. that's volume 10 yeah as
1: oh, wow, well, I'm, I'm, I'm dumb. Um,
0: nah. Is it volume 10?
1: Yeah, 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 the War of the Jewels is... Anyway, in volume 10... Uh, the War uh, of the Jewels. Oh my gosh. Yeah, in mm-hmm. volume 10 of of it, in Notes on Motos in the uh he notes that even the Valar fade. Even these purely spiritual creatures fade as more and more of the world, you know, achieves completion. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have less and less ability to affect change. Uh, One could argue from like a Thomistic perspective that as more and more of the world enters into act, there is less potential for new being. Um, The way I like to imagine it is... So each Valar is associated... Each vala is associated with some aspect of the created world. Almo is associated with water. alay is associated with minerals and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And each one of them acts as a kind of sustaining cause of the various constituents of the world and the forces of the world. And as each of these enters into actuality... Yeah. Um... More and more of their being is spent, uh, sort of actualizing these various features of the world, mm. and uh, therefore there's less and less room for them to bring about new effects.
0: Yeah, I find it helpful to look at to look at it this way, right? So, uh, if let's say a skyscraper is is seventy percent completed, then uh your scope of applying large scale structural changes is significantly lesser uh, than it's a very it, good analogy no. than it was when that skyscraper was um say 20% completed right mm-hmm. so it doesn't it doesn't make those who um those who made the um the uh, structural um, plans to begin with any less important but it but it but it does uh, render the it does r- render them increasingly important as more and more of the of the skyscraper is completed that's 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 i find it um, I- useful to look at it like that
1: yeah yeah as i've mentioned with entropy uh as entropy increases there's less and less uh room for meaningful activity uh within the universe and the same applies to the Valar, and the same applies to the elves the fact that fading applies to the Valar is as i think a bit of a counterintuitive thing but it does explain to some extent why you don't see the Valar um intervene in middle earth uh mm-hmm. that much it's not just because you you know they, they they don't want to intervene so that human beings can have their own independence and uh, be taught a lesson. It's also because their actual scope of possible action becomes more restricted over time.
0: Their um, final demiurgic act was uh, raising the uh, mountains of Pelori. Yes. Um. Uh, that was the that was the um that was the last large scale um physical change that they in- in- enacted and for those uh, who don't
1: know uh, the mountains of pelori are the mountains on the eastern coast of valinor which were created to protect uh against any kind of encroachment by the evil forces of melkor mm mhm Sorry for clarifying, but not no, everyone no, no, is no. as big an autist as we are. Yeah. But um, one of the, I guess, you could say this is a bit of a misconception. So I feel that it's a misconception, or at least it really, really needs to be qualified. There's this notion that Morgoth made himself weaker than all the other Valar, and I... I think that...
0: Wait, do people actually think that?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it's a common conception that, you know, Melkor, in the process of, you know, diffusing, you know, his mm-hmm. being throughout Arda and mm-hmm. engaging in the activity he did made himself mm-hmm. weaker than every other Valar.
0: Um, so, and, uh, I but, have a theory regarding that, but I'm gonna let you um, go on first. Please, please go on. So,
1: but, it is so. true that melkor diffused his being throughout all the matter of arda uh and so in his person he was probably feebler than any particular vala Mm
0: -hmm.
1: but as stated previously valar fade too uh they also in a sense diffuse their essence in creating things Uh, for example you know ulmo is in a Mm -hmm. sense present throughout all the water of Arda and as Arda nears completion his ability to create new things uh, diminishes and in a sense he becomes more and more the embodiment of water as we know it Mm -hmm. and the same can be said of all the Vala in their own fears now it is true that Morgoth diffused more of his essence probably than any other Vala Mm -hmm. but that did give him a tremendous power over the physical world it gave him the ability to taint pretty much any action that uh the vala that the valar might undertake uh -hmm. in in trying to affect the physical world which is another reason why vala why the valar were probably often reluctant to intervene because unless they could win decisively and this is something he notes in notes on motives in the Silmarillion, unless they could win quickly and decisively, uh, the war could be cu- be very, very drawn out and end up destroying everything, because Morgoth could marshal much of the matter throughout the entire cosmos uh, mm-hmm. against them, and unless they could, you know, do a quick decapitation strike, so to speak, against mm-hmm. Morgoth, mm-hmm. they'd be kind of screwed and much of the world would be destroyed with it, and th- that's why, for example. Yeah. At the end of the First Age, in the War of Wrath, Beleriand was entirely destroyed uh, in the process of fighting Morgoth. Because... I mean,
0: I mean, um, and if history is any teacher at all, then we know that um, decapitation strikes have a tendency to fail. Yeah. They, yeah.
1: They just,
0: they, uh, yeah, no one is ever home by Christmas.
1: Yeah, is, the whole, uh, the whole idea that, yeah. of a quick and decisive war is kind of a meme. Yeah. And so there's a reason why the Valar is so reluctant to intervene against Morgoth when he can marshal so many resources and so much of the native matter of Arda against them. Which um, brings me to something else. I often associate Morgoth... Cause see, because Morgoth's sphere is never really specifically stated,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? Mm-hmm. It's never... Uh, it, it's said that he has elements of all the other valor mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know Yavana is associated with growing things and plants Orome is associated with uh, hey fauna.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, um, not to distract you or anything, but is Yavana Gaia Shut up. Good. <laughs> <Okay. laughs>
1: Yavana is not Gaia because Tolkien was not gay.
0: Um, and it's also true that Tolkien never played Age of Mythology. He died before it came out.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, the Titans expansion was so stupid. The original campaign was great, but the Titans expansion yeah. was dumb. Um, but yeah. So
0: sorry about that, please.
1: <laughs> you know Morgoth, on the other hand, seems to have uh, certain aspects of all the Valar. You know, he he can. It, you, you know, water, for example, which is almost fear. Uh, fruity actions of Morgoth, uh, mm-hmm. and his association with hot and cold. He's able to uh, things like uh, geysers come about, mm-hmm. uh, and storms and things like that, which you know, Almo had never thought of, but which are you know beautiful in their own in their own right.
0: So, what you're saying? I wonder
1: is... if Morgoth is associated with prime matter, maybe the very Basic um, raw stuff, but I don't um, think that
0: the quite works. way I see it. Okay, the way, Okay, so um, so here's my um take on uh take on the question of whether or not um, Morgoth was actually weakened um, by by the dispersal of his being um, mm-hmm. throughout throughout the Matter of Arda. My answer to that is is a very is, is it's a very resounding um, no. Now, it's true that um, that the Valar each 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 had his or her own aspect, right? So um, so a um, uh, uh, Manwe uh, was. Manwë had the aspect of the sky. Ulmo had the aspect of water. A- Aule had the aspect of the earth. Um, Vaire and Ermo had had aspects of of of, of um, mercy and understanding and so on and so forth. Right mm-hmm. now, the way I see it, the aspect that Morgoth had the aspect particular to Morgoth was not matter at all. It wasn't matter. It was choice. It was choice. I say choice because in a very profound way, how do we understand falling? How do we understand sin for us human beings, right? Sin is something that we know to exist we know what would constitute a sin right yeah and if our actions um correspond to what would constitute a sin then our actions would constitute a sin right Mm -hmm. so in, in a way sinning for us it's 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 a choice but it's not it's not um it doesn't require any existential or creative autonomy, right? But yes. what about Melkor? When he sinned, he was the first to, to, he was the very first created being to sin, right? So Lucifer, right? When Lucifer fell, sin had not existed prior to um, Lucifer's pre and fall, right? Yes. So my point is that Lucifer, in a way, hackeralized Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps hackeralized is 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 not the is not the um, best word here. But he, yeah, in in the act, in being the very first creature to sin. Um, for lucifer the exercise of his freedom had a certain um, existential autonomy it required a certain creative autonomy that was independent of and in a way peculiar to um, Lucifer himself. So, Manwe. He was associated with the wind, right? Uh-huh. Ulma was associated with the sea. Ulma, U- Ulma was not associated with Ulmo, but the father of lies is associated with lies. Is not. Is not associated with something else. So. So. So when Morgoth. Tainted something, right? When Lucifer causes us to sin, he allows. When we sin, we participate in the being of Lucifer, in a in a way that um, a potter making um, a, a something something out of clay cannot be said um, uh, to be participating. In the being of Ulmo, because of, of Ulmo and uh, Aule and Manwe, right? So, because a clay pot requires um, clay, which is which is the ground Aule, it requires water Ulmo, and then and then it requires to be dried. So Manwe. So what? So my so my point is. Um. Melkor's um, dissipation of himself throughout the matter of Arda didn't really matter all that much. It didn't count all that much because in all subsequent actions of of sin, right? Mm -hmm. um, Every person who sinned in a way contributed to um, the the increase of of Morgoth's um, of Morgoth's original power. He participated. He gave every sinner gives of himself to Lucifer in a way that is much closer. Um, that mode of participation is much more intimate than, uh, let's say, the um, the mode of participation of uh, of um, in... Craftsman is uh, to all. Does that does that does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I mean it, it makes sense. Um, okay. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't describe his sphere as choice because that would be a bit problematic. Um, yeah, yeah. There, our course, choices yeah. are a bit more. Uh, the better we are, in fact, the broader. Our choices and the greater our freedom tends yeah, to yeah. be because freedom yeah. is freedom for excellence. But I, I, I sort of see what you mean yeah. that there is a much more intimate participation uh, yeah. in the sphere of uh, Morgoth and therefore in increasing his power and the like when you are doing something evil than when uh, you are, um, you know, yeah. uh, drinking water or something like that. I'm yeah. not so sure of that, but yeah. Uh but yeah, it is wow, true. this
0: was this was this is like a ten-minute-long, autistic rant.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, as I've said, you know Morgoth disperses himself throughout the Matarvarda, and that is one of the contributory factors towards fading. And it also produces um. It's also what you know, sorcerers and necromancers and the like tap into, when uh. They perform their dark arts within the context of uh, tolkien's legendarium is mm. is morgoth's dispersed essence uh which probably has a certain amount of autonomy right yeah
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: um especially once especially once morgoth was cast out of the world at the end of the war of wrath although it is stated in notes on Motos in the silmarillion that at some point uh morgoth will Probably start recollecting a lot of that um, mm-hmm. essence to himself and yeah. reinvade the world. Yeah. So it, it's when people say that Morgoth, you know, was the least of the Valar, was weaker than the other Valar, and That's like, regarded. It, it's you can say that, but it needs to be you. You need a big asterisk asterisk yeah. next to it. Otherwise, yeah. it, it just yeah. won't make much sense. Uh, otherwise, it's just flat-out wrong, really. You need to qualify yeah. it very, very yeah. heavily.
0: Um, you need to qualify it so much so that you might as well not be saying it at all. because
1: Yeah, it, it, it's a pet peeve of mine because it's a recurring thing that you see a lot. Yeah. But you know, Morgoth's power over the physical world was tremendous. It just, you know, it might take a while to marshal all the resources of it. And there are sort of, you know, countervailing forces Mm -hmm. among the Valar. One of the ways in which I like to understand the fading of the Valar is that, you know, for every action by Morgoth and for every Mm -hmm. action by the Valar, Mm -hmm. there was a kind of equal and opposite reaction from mm-hmm. the other spirits.
0: Wow. The and, yes, and, the, <laughs> and the
1: interplay of those forces eventually creates like a kind of stalemate. Yeah. Where neither is really capable of, you know, the kind of decisive action uh, that they were before, you know, and raising mountains and stuff like that. And so eventually, you know, they just act as forces that are... Yeah. In a permanent kind of stalemate over the world. Yeah. Uh you know, and in, in Valinor, Morgoth's taint is virtually non-existent. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Middle earth it's 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 a lot stronger. Uh but uh hey, yeah.
0: mm-hmm. how about we call this episode Morgoth's Perinium, aka Morgoth's taint? Sure. Yeah, okay, awesome. <laughs>
1: yeah but um, yeah so that's one way you can understand it but in general a token is you know fairly versed on catholic metaphysics so yeah mm-hmm. like i said the valar as things enter into actuality more and more yeah. uh their their potential for greater and greater ch- to affect uh massive changes becomes reduced yeah partially just because of the limited being and power allotted to them and partially probably because of um morgoth's taint and him acting as a kind of countervailing force to their own activities yeah which in a sense makes the world more beautiful right you know without without the extremes of hot and cold that morgoth embodies uh, mm-hmm. You wouldn't have ge- geysers and storms and things like that, which which have yeah. a beauty of their own, even yeah. as they cause problems.
0: Um, that's 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 part of that's part of um, Eru Iluvatar's admonition, um, where he says to um, Melkor that every bad thing that he does, that uh, Melkor does, would redound to. Eru Iluvatar's glory, which is to say that he would bring good out of every single act of evil. And that is, I mean, basically, basically, given how smart he was, um, Morgoth should have realized that he um, picked a fight that he categorically could not, could not win. So, um yeah. I mean,
1: I mean, when you're a little child, and you pick a fight with your dad, you know you can't win, but you still do it anyway because you're a little child. And it's it's more a matter of immaturity than a matter of uh, I don't intelligence. Think...
0: Again, I know this is not about me, but I don't think I've ever picked a fight with my dad. Pussy. <laughs> oh, <yeah.
1: laughs> no, I mean, good for you. Good for you. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so one of the reasons the Rings of Power were created, well, really the reason the Rings of Power were created by the elves was so that they could halt the process of fading and halt the entropic decay of the world. And Mm -hmm. um, when you go to places like Rivendell and La Florian, which were Mm -hmm. protected by the elven ring bearers, you see places where, you know, the elder days are in some sense preserved. Yeah, They're very very magical. Time seems to stand still. The ravages yeah. of time don't seem to have any kind of effect on yeah. those places. In, in a really, really remarkable sort of way. You know, yeah. when, when you go uh, to Lorien...
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, much more are remarkable in the in the um, case of case of Lorien than in the case of Rivendell.
1: Yeah, I mean, Lorien is a really, 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 really utter-worldly kind of place. When, when they leave Lorien, they realize that they've spent a lot more time in there than they actually thought they had. Yeah. Um, and like, time, time they can be found understood out, as a,
0: mm-hmm. They found out that spent like over a month in Lorien when they had, um, when they really hadn't planned to, um, to spend so much time there.
1: Yeah. And um, can I describe my really, 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 really weird theory on some this, of
0: these This is what this podcast is for, so please go ahead.
1: Okay, so when it comes to the Old Testament, I'm not satisfied with either Younger of creationism or the idea that we can just uh, dismiss the numbers and the like as symbolic or um, not literal or meaningless. If I may...
0: If I may... In, interject for for mm-hmm. just a second. This, dear listeners, is what you call a radical centrist. But yeah, go on. Yeah, yeah. It's
1: <laughs> it's a very this is a very very autistic theory, and it's really just a the theory I have um, to help people who want to. Hold to a literal reading of Genesis, but also don't want to just you know throw away all science. Although at this point, science is a lot less. Uh, considering that uh, scientists tell us that uh, trans women are women these days, I, I, I'm not particularly concerned with being scientifically accurate. But anyway, uh, so one of my theories is that after the flood, um, the elder lines of Shem and Jephef uh, were in places like Lorien and Rivendell in places that were somewhat shielded from the uh, general decay of the world around them and so whereas only a few centuries might be recorded for their genealogies you know Mm -hmm. perhaps thousands of years Mm -hmm. past for the rest of humanity around them and because less time passed for them uh they age less they uh they decayed less the the, the ravages of entropy uh especially after the flood where you know lifespans start to dramatically shrink
0: yeah it just it, it didn't was, have the same kind of effects on them it was basically a uh <laughs> The human lifespan after the flood was basically fixed at one hundred and twenty years, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, but you still have people like you know, I almost said Aragorn, Abraham,
0: yeah, living to yeah. one hundred
1: and seventy-five years and stuff like that.
0: Um, and uh, let's not forget uh, Goliath, who still, um, so so, so, um, are you are you? do you have any theories as to why this um there's some shortening took place because this is this is this is very deeply connected with um with a um with an inescapable um sense sensation of mine and something that that um also has felt it's that we um live today in in a in a Third-rate copy of a copy of of a world. Now, what I mean is that there's a certain there's certain um no, there's a certain nobility, um, there's a certain um deeper beauty that teases us from just beyond the pale, as it as as it were, um that teases us from from behind the dandelions and from and that peek us and that peek at us from 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 the clouds and so on. Um sorry if I sorry if I sound um uh, uh, like a um fudgebacker but um yeah this you is... sound like a giant fudgebacker not gonna Fuck lie. You. Fuck you but yeah. Um uh, there's 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 a sense, and it's and it's um, and there are um a number of um Catholic um theologians who have commented on exactly this feeling. Um, off the top of my head, I can I can um, uh name, you know, not the usual suspects. I mean, I'm not going to name Tolkien. I'm not going to name Chesterton. I'm not going to name um any of the other um. Um, um, Catholic greats no I'm but I'm going to name um uh, the people I'm going to name is a very serious um ac- academic historian called Okay name them. <laughs> Fuck you. Oh, I mean Warren <laughs> Warren Carroll um and uh, Juan Donoso Cortez, who who um wrote um uh liberalism um socialism and capitalism just back in the Back in the nineteenth century, best, best, best Catholic book on the uh, on those three topics ever written. So um, they make mention of this as as well, um, and Terrien has felt it as well that we are living in some kind of a um, hastily reconstructed world where um, where um, the gifts that we had in the garden of eden where um has been um, blocked off from us um, and we are basically living in a very high entropy world which you would think you think that it would be it would be it would be a um be a low entropy uh, place given the fact of the Incarnation, right? But if anything, the Incarnation seems to have um, paid up the process of disenchantment. So, I mean, I just wanna know what Terylion thinks about this.
1: Yeah, um, I basically think that you have had little pockets of lower entropy and you know, maybe time bubbles and the like, in which uh, certain lines were preserved for god's purposes you know to produce people like heroes and prophets and the like and that a lot more time passed for everyone else mm-hmm. when it comes to the incarnation there is a kind of reversal of the spiritual um decay and again mm-hmm. i guess a kind of moral or spiritual entropy
0: mm-hmm.
1: and a kind of revitalization of us
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: in that way, that gives us a, a gives us a kind of foretaste of the uh, kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. You know, which restores things and undoes all chaos and undoes all decay and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. yeah, but yeah, I view the the, globe, the the flood as a kind of recreation event or cosmic reset. Mm-hmm. It probably did include a lot of water.
0: Yeah, because... but I
1: but I do think it is. I I, I think that whatever happened was really, 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 really cataclysmic. Mm -hmm. And I think before the Flood, there was probably some kind of bubble, not a literal bubble necessarily, but a kind of barrier that protected the Earth in general from the fallenness of the universe around it. And with the flood, that broke. And there was a flooding in of the chaos from outside that just brought about tremendous decay and death on an unprecedented scale. And it probably involved a lot of water.
0: (laughs) Water being a very um, mystical element.
1: Yes. But that's just a thought. Like, uh, basically, we were punished by you know, not having the same kind of preservations and protections applied to us, but some of that protection was continued for certain elder lines uh, descended from Noah uh, in Um, order to fulfill some of God's purposes and produce heroes and early kings and stuff like that when they met with the broader corpus of humanity.
0: For instance, um, the elder lines would include um, the Black Numenorians of Aryavarta. So.
1: <laughs> yeah, so let's explain that. So, obviously, most people who are going to be listening to this know about Indo Europeans, right? Yeah. Who, if you read the Bible, uh, they're definitely the sons of Japheth, uh, one of Noah's sons. They're, mm-hmm. they're among the descendants of Japheth. And of course, they spread uh, their languages throughout Europe and throughout India as well. And within Tolkien's legendarium you have the Numenorians, right, from the mm-hmm. island of Númenor who were a very tall and great and mighty people. Yes. And they went all over the world and spread many of their lang- much of their blood, many of their uh, their language, their customs and the like throughout much of the world. Mm-hmm. And a theory, or rather not so much a theory as just a Kind of conjecture is that you can analogize those Aryans and Indo Europeans who went to India to the black Numenorians, that is to say, the uh, Aryans or Indo Europeans who turned to evil, the Numenorians who turned to evil. Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas you might analogize uh, certain European strains to the faithful, those who remained relatively, you know, who, who remained faithful to the Valar. Now, you can't entirely analogize the, uh, the two because really there's no strong evidence that, say, Hellenic paganism or Nordic paganism were more noble uh, than whatever paganism you found on the subcontinent. But through the graces of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. uh, European culture was elevated well above Indian culture. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and
1: so there is a kind of analogy there, even if the origins of the distinction are not
0: quite and parallel. So then you have people like me who are basically doing penance on behalf of, 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 of my, um, of their black Numenorian ancestors. So uh, by by joining the um, Church of Christ, uh, so. Yes. Uh, yeah. Hey, citizen, are you doing your part? Yes, I am. So yeah. There's, 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 there's that. Yeah. Um, another, another aspect of fading is, is the literal diminution. So, um, elves and Numenorians they tended to be much taller than 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 they have since become. So. Teryllian um, can can talk about that since he's very autistic about, about heights for some reason, so.
1: Yeah, I kind of have a height complex.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: so I'm kind of obsessed with the heights of characters and the heights of different races. So, according to of dwarves and men in the peoples of Middle Earth, uh, the average Noldor man and the average Numenorean man was, quote, about seven of our feet now this is actually somewhat problematic though because it leads to certain problems uh so in unfinished tales it stated that for example um the average numenorean was about six foot four at some point the average dunedine was about six foot four Mm -hmm. um and that this represented a slight dimin- like a somewhat diminished stature compared to the Numenoreans who lived before. Mm-hmm. Not an eight-inch diminishment, you know? Yeah. He, he says that their stature was somewhat diminished by then. Um, another problem we face with that is that Galadriel is said to be six foot four, but she's also stated to be the tallest uh, elven woman of whom tales tell and so unless we're going to say that the average noldoran woman was as tall as a normal human woman and the average noldor man was like almost two feet taller then something has to give there, there there's something a bit weird there mm-hmm. um this is so the fact that you know in the fellowship of the ring while people like Glorfindel and Elrond are described as tall, they're never described as taller than Aragorn, who was yeah. about six foot six, um, yeah. officially. Yeah. Uh, you know, for example, Frodo never says, "Wow, Glorfindel is about who was an Noldor, you know, and a very very glorious Noldo at that." Mm-hmm. Uh, he never says, "Wow, Glorfindel was like six inches was was way taller even than Aragorn," you know. You never get anything like that. Moreover, <laughs> Celeborn, yeah. Celeborn's name means tall silver, and yet he was at the same height as Galadriel, about six foot four. Now he was a Sindar or a Tellery from Valinor. It's not clear. Um, Tolkien it's not rip, clear. Tolkien changed his mind about it. Yeah. Um, but the idea that you know six foot four would be tall for a Teleri, but. Really, really short for a Noldo. For a Noldo, doesn't really. It, it doesn't really mesh. Like it, it just doesn't exactly work. And so I'm inclined to think that the average Numenorian or the average Noldo was probably not about seven feet, and that yeah. it was probably just a note that Tolkien made. The context was him saying that. Uh, the term halfling comes from the fact that they were half the height of a Numenorian or Noldo or about seven of our feet in reference to, you know, members of the Noldor and uh, people of Numenorian descent. It could be that he was rounding up, you know, that, um... that that he was thinking, well, they're between six and seven feet and close to seven at, uh, at their height. I'm inclined to think that the average Numenorian was about two meters tall. Um at, at their uh, height, yeah. and that the mm-hmm. average Noldor was maybe six foot eight or something like that. But that's mm-hmm. just that's just my
0: my opinion. That's, that's just that's that's just um, brain melt, brain melting autism that that yeah that well, I deal with on a daily basis. Well, Send help. Say-
1: well, the thing is, is that when you're dealing with Tolkien and you're looking at like his old works, you have to understand that there isn't an entirely set canon, which definitely works with the uh, fact that it's mythology and mythology is very inconsistent, mm-hmm. right? There are always tons and tons of variants. Hey, and so it actually really, really
0: works. You know what that sounds like?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That sounds like Cope to me.
1: I, I don't know. I don't think it's Cope. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Cope would be me claiming that Tolkien is always consistent and always great. I mean, I have criticisms of Tolkien. <laughs> Tolkien. No, you don't. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Oh, but okay. I'm not going to go into them because uh, there's enough people who criticize him yeah. for gay reasons.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But yeah, uh, Numenorians, for example, we do know that they shrank when they left Numenor because Numenor was especially preserved and especially orderly. Yeah compared to um, the rest of uh, Arda and, for example, Middle Earth. And so Tolkien does note that they did shrink somewhat because being away from Numenor meant that they didn't have the same kind of health or blessings that came from being on that island when it sank. Mm -hmm. But of course, when it sank, uh, the world became round and the world was recreated, right? Yeah. It went from being flat to being round, and Valinor uh, went from being in the pretty western much. part of a disk to being along a straight path that peeled away from the roundness of the world. Uh, yeah. You could only go there if you had a special elven ship and the blessings of the Valar.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's kind of interesting.
0: Yeah, but I mean that 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 uh, recreation is that pretty much parallels what. What happened to us mm-hmm. in the in the aftermath of the end um, so of the flood?
1: What are the way not just the flood though? Um, mm. also the biblical yeah. fall of man. So, one yeah, yeah. of my interpretations of the biblical fall of man is you have some people who are just evolutionists and or old earthers or whatever, and think that. Not not old earthers. Ur- they don't fall into this. But you have evolutionists who just completely kind of discount the fall as a myth. And then you have people on the opposite side who will
0: Those people are fucking retards. And who... those people
1: don't and, and that just kind of I think undermines Christianity. Yeah. <laughs> I I mean I, I don't think you could say that the fall was a myth. I, mean... I but I have my own take on the fall, which I think provides a compromise position which i'm not wed to but i think is very interesting Mm -hmm. um you you know because you have some people on the other hand who who will just kind of like throw away all science um in response to that and say you know uh in order to preserve our account of the fall of man we need that but i have my own opinion on it which is that when the fall occurred The fabric of reality including past present and future changed with it to reflect a different kind of world Mm -hmm. um if you think of time as like a block right Mm -hmm. with past and present and future this is just a model of course i'm not saying that this is what time actually looks like but it's a it's a useful model for our purposes if you think of time as a kind of block then you can think of a kind of pre-lapsarian block, a, a pre-fall block, where past, present, and future sort of reflect an Edenic kind of state, right? Mm-hmm. And then with the fall of man, the past starts to reflect a much more chaotic creation uh, with, you know, a more cutthroat kind of, you, you know, just entropy and... Disorder from the very, very beginning, uh, which, which is, which is sort of how I see the fall, which is a kind of changing of the cosmos, a rearranging or recreation of the cosmos in general, that reflects a completely different um, mode of being and a completely different kind of past, and mm-hmm. it, it, it's not something that we could ever really access or prove. But um, yeah, uh... I think it's, a, I think it's an interesting compromise position. That you know, so you know, a lot of the you know science that we use remains a useful model for understanding the world as we have it, but in a way that doesn't um, remove the past as uh, uh, scriptures uh, presented.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, yeah,
1: and, and and I think that actually. It does make sense, in a way, that um, the world around us would come to reflect a fallen state in general. You know, with uh, animals uh, being predators and stuff like that. You, You know, just...
0: This centipede is a predator.
1: Yeah. The whole world just... I think with the fall just changed to reflect our fallen state. Yeah. Which includes the past... And just the very nature of reality.
0: So so you mean that that our past was um, substantially retconned. hmm um, so as to fit into Okay, okay. hmm hmm. Have you think of that? No, that would that would that would that would actually make sense, yeah. The
1: universe as we see it is now consistent with a completely different set of rules. Mm-hmm. It's just an interesting thought.
0: Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's a very, that's, that's actually a very interesting point. Hmm.
1: I mean, we live in a very, very strange world where time moves at different speeds for different people, according to physics. Yeah. Uh, and all sorts of weird things can happen. I, yeah. I, I really don't consider this out of the realm of possibility.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: But that's sort of my compromise position,
0: Yeah, Um, which I'm not
1: wed to, but when Mm -hmm. it comes to interpreting the Old Testament, I like to be as literal as I can be, but also not just completely discount things like, um, you know, the inductive sciences. Because I I do think if you undercut, you know, the uh, reliability of things like induction and physical observation, then you also undermine... You also end up undermining the reliability of, of uh, things like scripture on anything but a uh, fideistic basis. You know, you, you yeah. do render, which, which, is, which, um,
0: is, which is itself it, heretical. Yeah, you basically um, um saw off the branch that you're sitting on. So yeah, I
1: I because I mean it is an article of faith that um, Catholicism can be made credible. I yeah. am yeah. sympathetic. Mm-hmm. I, I, I am sympathetic to, for example, alternative sciences, like creation science and stuff like that. But so far, I haven't really encountered anything that...
0: Hey, the only alternative science I know and I support is ring lore. Make your own great yeah. ring. Oh my Make gosh. your own ring of power. That would
1: be really, really cool. But yeah, yeah I, 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 I'm very, very sympathetic to the idea. Um, and I, I'm I'm perfectly willing to support it, but so far, uh, unfortunately, a lot of the creation science I've encountered just doesn't seem very believable. Um,
0: yet. it doesn't. It doesn't. Oh. I mean, and so I, and so happened?
1: I, and so I just think very, very weird. So that I can make um, the two accounts yeah. uh, hey, consistent.
0: I mean, if esoteric literalism works for you, it works for you, right? I mean,
1: yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> Yeah, it's it, it's that's that's the thing, right? I mean, I personally well, see the the thing is I have a very good ideas about 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 high about um how horribly compromised the intellectual integrity of academia is.
1: Oh yeah, it's complete crap.
0: So, so um, I am much less respectful of, 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 of uh, more academic, more scholarly consensus. Oh,
1: yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Like, like uh, when yeah. it comes to science, I've kind of... Yeah. I have lost a lot of faith in the scientific establishment, and I've become a lot more open-minded. Oh, oh,
0: over over 2020, right? Over Oh,
1: basically. yeah. Yeah. I mean, over yeah. the past few course. years, yeah. but... Yeah, so, even before course. 2020, but mm-hmm. definitely lately... Like Yeah. Like that and, thing about the homo erectus skull.
0: Oh yeah. Um because uh, as as I was as I was talking about with about, uh, about it with the material and a couple of the other guys, um so they have one damaged skull and a misshapen femur. Um, and they basically put together an entire species from that and they called it the Homo erectus. Now...
1: Well, they have a bit more than that, but it's all fragments. I think that's the most we have of any one specimen.
0: It's, it's, it's the most we have of any one specimen. And, um, this, this, this entire, um, so here's the thing about the um, fossil record right we have essentially been we have been told that we would find um transitory species but there hasn't been a single one every single species that we have found in the in the fossil record they're each you know recognizably different species they're not any of the in between stages now
1: well, couldn't we argue though that a lot of the transitional, like like basically every new fossil type we find is itself a transitional type? I mean, I mean that that's the standard argument. However, I do know that you know according to people like Stephen J. Gould, who is you know was a major you know atheist paleontologist and all that, that mm. the fossil record shows that speciation is a saltatory rather than a continuous process mm-hmm. yeah so you have yeah. very 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 rapid change over yeah. several yeah. generations in a geological yeah, time the, scale
0: yeah such as the um such is it called the Cambrian ex- explosion well this
1: particular theory optimism? is called is called pu- punctuated equilibrium yeah. yeah 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 it's it's there are two two main models of evolution mm-hmm. in terms of uh how it works and uh, at least one of them is that it is a saltatory process and the other is that it is a continuous process mm-hmm. i tend to believe that if evolution is true which it might not be um i tend to think obviously that it would be a saltatory process mm-hmm. right? um right. where certain substances just have the potency to yield new substances under certain circumstances uh, man. Have pretty rapid uh, man,
0: ah, hey, Terylian, don't you, don't you know that Father Chad Ripperger says that that's impossible?
1: That's, that's, that's the most, the idea that Thomistic metaphysics contradicts evolution is just massive cope. I mean, substances change it's, all the time just, in it's nature. It's just
0: massively retarded, yeah. It,
1: it, it, it's very, 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 very stupid. Um, unfortunately. yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, I would love nothing more than to, to believe in um, uh, the most uh, vulgar account of young Earth creationism. Although, as I've said, I, I am very, very, very accommodating towards it, but I'd love nothing more to believe it. I, I just have a hard time believing um, yeah. in the literal truth of certain aspects of the Old Testament, yeah. although yeah. I will, you know, submit to what the magisterium wants me to believe when it wants me to believe it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we're kind of going off topic, sort of. Yeah, not really, but. Um, yeah, well,
0: not exactly. Nothing is nothing is off topic. It then. is a
1: continuous. Uh, we did kind of continuously segue into this.
0: Uh, yes, we did. So, um, so I think uh, this. Shall we? Shall we uh, wrap this up now? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, as I was thinking, should we should we try to have um, someone else uh, next uh, the uh, next episode? Because because I'm I'm thinking if we if we find someone and um, to come on and 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 if he um um uh, wants to uh, come on and talk during the week, then we could basically get another episode out um, sooner yeah um, uh, yeah so so over the um, next three or four days, depending on whether our uh, guest will be um, able to do it and then uh, it's it's going to be a, a, a special a non-weekly episode but as for now I think the plan is to um, to s- s- stick to a weekly, or a um, bi-monthly, so so a fortnightly schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just said um schedule because 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 that's the pronunciation uh, I was taught in my part of the world, whereas um, North Americans tend to say schedule, right?
1: Schedule, you giant bundle of sticks! All right, okay. everyone, bye.
0: Okay, bye, bye.